0: Everybody, welcome back. This is the FBC Huntsville Young Adults Podcast. I am John Lemons, the minister to young adults here at First Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama. I'm joined, as it was last time, by Tiffany Fanning and Ellen Christian, our co-hosts for this season's series. And we are on episode two, season three of a podcast series that we are calling Black, White, and Red All Over, which is a podcast series about the Bible. In fact, when we did episode one, we did not even have a name for the podcast yet we so we didn't call it anything but we came up with the name afterwards which is obviously a play on the old riddle if you remember the riddle maybe you heard growing up that was always about a newspaper well this is in particular about the bible and it actually is a has a double meaning because it is black white and red all over r-e-a-d red all over and that's what we're doing this season but it's also the bible is actually printed in red in some cases as well when you get to the words of jesus so there's a little bit of a double meaning there Uh, with regard to the riddle. But anyway, so that is the podcast title, and it's great to have you guys along with us, Ellen and Tiffany, and it's great to have those of you who are at home or driving in the car or whatever listening along as well. Today, we're going to be covering what we read in the month of January. So if you're listening to this right after it came out, hopefully it'll be around February 1st or 2nd, the beginning of February at least. So we're going to talk about what we read in January, do a little bit of Q&A for those of you who sent us some questions about what we read during that month and then we're going to look ahead into what we'll be reading in the month of February. Now if you're listening to this at some later date or you're just not reading along, that's fine as well. You can listen to this as you read through the Bible later on this year or 3 years from now <laughs> or whatever. Or you could just listen along to hear what we talk about because we're going to try to talk about some some issues as well that correlate to what we're doing in reading through the Bible, but we think also would apply just in general to questions that people might have about Christianity or about the Bible or anything like that. So we'll dive into that in a few moments. But before we do that, since we are on a podcast here with our own, I don't know, 10 listeners or whatever it is we have, Tiffany and Ellen, I thought I'd ask you guys, what are your must listen to podcasts besides the FPC Huntsville Young Adults mm-hmm. Podcast?
1: Tiffany, you, you want to go, go first, first, Ellen? Oh, oh okay. <laughs> um, so I like True Crime Podcast, which doesn't feel like very churchy, um, but I listen to Anatomy of Murder sometimes, and I, mm, it's like from Crime Junkies grouping um, network, I guess, and these two people, they go through obviously True Crime's but they almost always have like a wrap up. You know, there are a lot of them that are, you know, an unknown ending. Like they never caught the bad guy, but the way that they do this one, it almost always has already been solved, which I think gives a nice completion to it, even though it may be kind of dark and depressing. Somebody got murdered or something awful happened, but there's usually a wrap up. So at least it got resolution.
0: Nice. That will come in handy when we get into like Joshua and judges later, because those are some pretty, uh, Crime tastic and blood. There's a lot of blood and that kind of stuff in those books. But also, I find that interesting because you're married to a police officer. So
1: I am. For those who don't know, seriously. So do you make yeah. him like so when he
0: gets home and you're like, all right, fill me in, give me the deets. What Happened. Yeah. It's usually
1: not that exciting, you know. Fortunately, I guess in Madison County, there are very few homicides. Um, but he's told me some doozies that he's already worked on in his years there. But usually, it's somebody broke into something and he's done fingerprint dusting. So.
0: That's crazy. My favorite story that your husband's ever told me is he said he was in his squad car one time, pulled up to a uh, red light, and he looked over at the car beside him, and there was a lady in the driver's seat texting on her phone or scrolling on her phone, and she looked up and looked over and saw him, and she just dropped the phone into her lap. (laughs) (laughs) And then the light turned green, and he drove off. He was like, I didn't care, but he just thought it was so funny, and I did too, because I've totally been in that situation and probably done the same thing, so... Ellen, what are your must listen to podcasts?
2: Um, so uh, I have started listening to um this one called Gravy. Um, and if you don't know this about me, I am a food girl. I love eating it, cooking it, looking at recipes. Um, so this goes through like some. Um, Food things, like talking about New Orleans street vendors was like the last one I listened to. Um, that was real fun. Um, there was one about um, orange juice and how it was created, the sunshine state. So uh, just some like little um, tidbit nuggets about food. If you like that sort of thing, if you don't like food, you're not going to like it. Um, but then uh, my also, my second go-to is um, how I built this. Um, I like oh. hearing about how people like started up things, ideas about some stuff and um, the business side, how
0: people built stuff. Yeah, there's a great couple of episodes of that that I've heard that I really enjoyed. One was the guy that started Five Guys Burgers. Yep. And just how he was he was like, yeah, we they've never done any advertising. And he just mm-hmm. said, we just figured if our burgers were good, were good, people would come. And it's true. And then the other one that I really found fascinating was, I had no idea, but the guy that started Atari also started Chuck E. Cheese. And so there was an episode about that one time. And he even, he was approached by uh, an employee of his who was going to go start his own company. And this employee was like, Hey, do you want to be one of my first investors? And the guy was like, "Mm, it sounds cool, but no, um, good luck. And the employee was Steve jobs. So, so he did okay. I mean, he, he created Atari and Chuck E. Cheese, but he could have been also an early investor in Apple as well. That's, I mean, just, crazy so that's that's a really fascinating podcast i enjoy that one as well yeah it's a good one i've shared mine before the bible project's a big one for me i like malcolm gladwell's revisionist history um more and more lately i'm a nerd i've been listening to a lot of fantasy football podcasts lately because i'm in a really competitive league with some friends from college and my team hasn't been doing so well so i'm like i need to up my game there so i've been listening to a lot more of those lately but on your foodie podcast, Ellen, do they ever talk about coffee? Uh, I
2: don't know. Well, I should actually go look because usually I like skip past that. But now that I'm getting into coffee, I need to look and see what... Um, yeah, see, you've like, just now started way. drinking and coffee. I know. I have. Within the past... Uh, let's see. I think like January 1st or 2nd or 3rd is like the very first day that I started brewing it, which sounds weird. I feel like Yeah, and you're knows. how old? I know. I'm <laughs> pretty... Three, 30, thirty-three, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. I feel like people were like, Oh, I don't know when I first started drinking coffee. And I'm like, Oh yeah, January first or second. Like I'm pretty sure it was the first or second day of this year, 2022.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. It, so yeah, uh I used to give Ellen a hard time because we would have meetings and stuff and I would buy people Starbucks and Ellen would always order some crazy I always called them hot milkshakes. Yeah. Because it didn't have any coffee in it. And then I found out from your sister that you you were like actually brewing coffee. I was like, what? Yeah. So you've come a long way in a short time.
2: Brewing coffee in a Keurig, if that counts. I did brew it in a real coffee pot when I was trying to figure out the different taste of the veranda. Yes. Uh, One from Starbucks to taste it against like a um, regular one. So, but I really want to do like a flight of coffees like i just want to taste them all out like i want them to put all the k cups in like a box that i can just buy a multi i don't want 10 they do make I those want, you like, know two of each one yeah,
0: 10. yeah it's interesting you you really have come a long way in, in a short time I, it took me years to get to i first i remember the first time i had i mean outside of like when my parents brewed coffee which their coffee is not good at all but I remember in college, I went to a cafe and this was like when Friends was at the height of its popularity. That's how old I am. And uh, so coffee shops were like this huge, like hip thing to do. And a friend of mine was like, you need to drink coffee. I'm going to get you a cafe au lait. And I drank it and I was like, "Eh, it's okay. And I think I had to put like a ton of sugar in it. And so then I started drinking like hot milkshakes, basically, with a little bit of coffee in them and then just gradually worked my way i mean years to where now like i'll drink coffee black if it's good uh, if it's like maxwell house no because i can i can drinking it black now i can actually taste the differences between coffee more than i could before but it did take me a long time to get there so there's hope maybe
1: hopefully,
0: how do you
2: maybe, drink
1: your coffee what I oh, drink with creamer creamer no sugar so but even with my creamer in it. I still don't like Maxwell House. We bought it once because I had like a dollar rebate from Ibotta or something. Not a sponsored ad. And
0: um, <laughs> No, we don't have those.
1: And um, it was gross. I told Jacob, I was like, if I ever tell you to buy this brand again because I have a rebate, just say no because it was it was an enjoyable.
0: I, yeah, um, I've done that a few times where I've, I've bought some sort of random discount brand that I've seen at Aldi or... Trader Joe's or something, and they've never really turned out well. But
2: okay, so I'll tell you this, and then we can totally move on. But this morning, Kyle got a Keurig. Like, when did everybody start getting the Keurigs? Was that like 2010?
0: Ten. Well, let's just yeah. say 2010. We don't know. Yeah,
2: it was like somewhere in there. 12-ish. So we've I got a found a box of coffee that he had like in some of his work stuff because you know he's working from home now. So um all of his work stuff is here because I mean gosh, we thought that was gonna be like what a four-week. Six week thing. thing, yes. Yeah, two years later, right? Um and so I found a box of K cups that had been in his his uh bucket of stuff and I was like, oh I, let me just try these because these are it's donut house brand, I think. Okay. They expired in 2011,
1: right?
2: Wow. So I brewed one this morning and I was like, I don't know. Does the coffee like wine? Does it ferment? Like, I don't know. Does it expire? Don't, don't do it. It's nice. Terrible. Yeah. I don't that would know it, if it was supposed to be extra bold, but it was awful.
0: Yeah. that You probably shouldn't have done that so early awful. in your coffee drinking game. That's You only do that when you get like really desperate. And so that, that that'll come later for you later on in life. So we'll jump on, jump on into where we're going to move for the rest, the rest of this episode podcast. And one of the things we want to do, so we're going to talk about, like I said before, our, our sort of insights or our highlights of what we read in the month of January, which so it really covered all of Genesis, all of Job, which we're doing a chronological reading, which includes Job kind of in the middle of Genesis. And we'll talk about why that is later on in the episode. And then so far, the first six chapters of Exodus. So if you're reading along with us, That's what we covered from January 1 to January 31st. That's what we'll talk about today, our insights there. And as we do that as well, we'll kind of answer a couple of just generic questions. So if you're just listening and you're not reading along with us, but uh, you you might have a general question about the Bible or about Christianity in general, we're hoping that in, in this discussion that we can answer those sort of questions as well. So what we're kind of focusing on as far as a question, overarching question today is A, what do we look for when we're reading the Bible? Um, it, why why do we read the Bible? Why is it something we should try to do? And then secondarily, and I think it's a, a lesson that we learn early on in our reading, both in the lives of like Abraham, even in uh, the life of Jacob, uh, but also in the life of Job. And the question is, how do you wait for God? And what is it that we find in the Bible that helps us understand or, or learn? How do we wait on God uh, in in um, in our lives? So, We'll try to answer those. We'll share our insights. So let's start with Tiffany. What What do you got for us from January? What did you learn? What do you want to share? That sort of thing.
1: So one thing I've tried to do more this year than I did last, because last year I did a mix pretty heavy on uh, the Bible reading to me through the YouVersion app versus me with either my hard copy or even just looking at my app. And I'm using the net version this go-around, and there is not an Audible Um, available right now. It is just strictly, you know, um, I have to read it. I don't get to cheat. And so I've been highlighting a lot more passages um, that stand out to me. They either stand out to me because I've like misread them in different lights before, or they feel really important to me in the season. Um, So then I've been trying to go back and like write down notes for them. Like, this is what I read. And this was the verse. And I just from doing like, incorporating that practice, even just this first month, I've seen so much more of like applicable information or like where people have spoken prophecy and they didn't know that they were like in Job, I, I saw God and Jesus all over Job and it is a hard book. And if you would have asked me, you know, last year or in years before where I've not read through the Bible, like, what do you think about the book of Job? I would probably tell you just to throw it out. It sucks. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of bad in it. There seems like a lot of unfairness in it, um, but I, this go around, I just saw God all over it. So like in Job nineteen twenty five, um, he's sitting, you know, in his despair and his sadness, and he says, my redeemer lives. So even in the darkest of times, we can speak truth um, and we can have truth spoken to us if we're open and receptive. God will deliver someone, even who someone who isn't innocent. I just butchered that. That's Job 22, 30. So he will deliver even someone who isn't innocent because none of us are innocent. And how encouraging is that, that we do get delivered and we see that fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament. Job 36, 5, real heavy on Job. Um, He does not despise people. So the Old Testament God gets a really bad reputation of being hateful and harmful and like an unloving figure. And that's not the case. I mean, you can even see in Job, which is one of the darkest books of the Bible, I would say. And it said in there, you know, he does not despise people. What kind of creator despises his creation? And that was just so encouraging that he loves us. And, you know, we're in a time of darkness ourselves. We're on year two slash three of this pandemic that seems to never end. Um, but there's still goodness and God to be found everywhere, you know, kind of like Dumbledore. Even if you, light can always be found if you look for it in the darkest of places, you know, paraphrased. So. That was no, probably pretty one of my close, biggest actually. I think. Takeaways. Yeah. Nice. So I love what would in you... Harry Potter?
0: <laughs> no, uh, uh, yeah, not Ellen though. She'll get to it in ten years. Ellen, what let's... would you say? Your your insights from Job, Genesis, like something that you took away that you want to share?
2: Um, so I have two things. Um well, I have like three. I'll make them quick though. Um so the last um like three chapters. So I really tried to sit with Job this year. Um, And I think you said, you kind of touched on it in the last podcast about sitting with the uncomfortable part of the Bible. And Job for me is a very uncomfortable part. And so um, this year I tried to read Job in more of a bigger chunk. So I sat down like over three days and tackled Job. So I could, you know, I wanted to really read what his friends say kind of together, um, how Job responds, how God responds to Job. And it, I will say it wasn't until like the last verse of Job that I was kind of like, oh, okay. Like to me, it really kind of stood out when he says, it says, then Job died old and full of days full. Like I took that word and, and to me, Job is very scary. Um, It's the pain I think behind like losing people or uh, being uncomfortable. Like, you know, he's got boils at one point, like how uncomfortable would that be in, in losing, uh-huh. you know, everything that uh, and tangible things, I guess. But then, you know, when God restores it back, you know, he was content, like he was full. He was happy after, you know, happy is probably not the the best word to use there, but you know, like he had full life after that too, even though he went through some crap. I mean, to be honest with you, you know, the second half of that is, you know, he was full um, because of, of everything that he went through. And, and so Terry kind of also talks about the, um, in Job 40, um, where he's, you know, you, you see a little bit of, um, Job's humbleness and, and the entitlement that was, you know, kind of in his heart. Um, so she says, uh, sometimes we get frustrated by our own circumstances, uh, that we carry a a subtle under undercurrent of belief that we believe God is, um, cruel for letting, um, a certain thing happen to us. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I really struggle with the justice piece of God um, when it it comes to other people. You know what I mean? Not to me, but to other people, because there's always... I think what do you, wait, wait, what do you mean mind, by that? Well, I mean, like the sin scale, right? So even though we all sin, it's all the same. But when there's, you know, you all, I, I don't know, my sin is different because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? You see, so it's just, Oh, if I
0: run a red light, it's because I got to get where I'm going. If you run a red light, it's because you're a jerk.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. so that piece is something that I feel like I have to just chisel away at my own heart because it exposes the entitlement on my side. Right. And I'm always like, Oh no, it's, it's there, but I can't, I can't let anybody see it or, or I have to deal with that. And even dealing with my sin is hard. You know what I mean? Cause it's, it's easier to see everybody else's sin. But I think the, um, you know, letting other things happen to other people is easier to kind of block out. But when it happens to me, it's like, yeah. I can't believe that. So, and then the, the last piece, um, I'm a food girl, right? So my, the favorite, um, my favorite study that I've done is the one by, uh, oh gosh, I can't even think of her name. Now I go talk about her, Um, uh, Margaret, Margaret Feinberg. I'm, yeah. Margaret yeah, yeah, yeah. Feinberg. And uh, so I love the piece. She pointed it out in her study about, um, where uh, transferring of the birthright happens over um, some soup and some bread. I always think it's funny that the bread is mentioned there, but I didn't um, really kind of grasp where Joseph in the famine he's storing grain. So she says like wherever um, bread is present in the story generally means God is there. And so I was kind of like, oh man, Joseph, you know, he store all he stored all that grain back. Well, what is grain? Turns into bread, so I was kind of that kind of tipped me off a little bit this time. Yeah, I didn't catch it.
0: That's a great point. I'll talk about that in a moment with when I talk about uh, my insights because there are several motifs that continue to show up throughout Scripture, and whenever they do, they need to be sort of red flags or like Mm -hmm. red flashing lights that go off in your in your head to make you aware, like, oh, this is something I need to pay attention to. This is something I need to think about. Where have I read about this item or that item before? But I'll get to that in a moment. Let me ask you guys two questions. One, what? So, what did you learn, or what would you say you have learned, either through this experience, reading through it this time, or in your times reading it before, about how how do you, as a person, as a believer, wait on the Lord? Because you have in both Job's case and then in Abraham's case, Abraham's promised Isaac, and then it's like ten years before. Sarah's like, hey, this ain't happening. Why don't you take my servant and go make a baby with her? And so he does that. And then like another 13 years go by and God's like, hey, 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 that's not, that's not the way it's going down. I'm gonna, it's like it's gonna happen this year. So you're talking about a promise that he waited on for 23 years. And then you even have with uh, Jacob, Jacob marries Leah after working for seven years and then realizes like, hey, this isn't, I, I was supposed to marry Rachel. So he works another seven years um, while he's married to Rachel at that time too. So you have these things like that, even, so you got Job waiting on the Lord, you've got Abraham, you got Jacob, like, what have you all learned about that experience? You talked a little bit about it with the pandemic a, a moment ago, but like, what would you say to someone, you know, going through a hard time or, you know, just kind of feeling like God's not hearing them or whatever?
1: Helen, you want to go first? <laughs> you want me to go first. You go first, Tiffany. Let okay. me sit on my response. <laughs> no pressure. Right. Well, I'm not good at waiting. Uh, being patient is not my thing. Uh, I'm not great at it. It's very hard for me. Jacob can attest to it. When we were and co- well, he had already graduated, but I was still in college and like, I wanted to get engaged and I was in a sorority. So we do like this special thing when you get engaged while you're still in college. And I was like, Jacob, I need you to do this. Um, cause I want to have this thing. He's like, I'm going to propose when you like get out of college. I was like, well, will you move with me and like go places? Or are we always going to be in Podunk, you know, Alabama, which we are, and it's fine, but I actually broke up with him. Um, my senior year of college, because I was like, he's not going to propose. He's not going to be willing to move with me. And we're going to be stuck living on the same street that he grew up on, which we do, by the way, live on the same road that he grew up on um, as actually his whole life. He's never not lived on the street. Um, and then I was sad and devastated. And we were broken up for a couple of months. We call it like the dark period or the black eight, whatever. And, we call and it. hold up. Something, so
0: something. this this was when you were living in the big time up in Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right.
1: So, But they're just like, not that it was a big town, but I was willing to move. And I come from Nashville originally. So I mean, like I know about the city. But anyway, then my grandfather died. And the first person I wanted to talk to was Jacob. And that to me was like a prompting back of like, this is who you're supposed to be with. That's who God has set out for you. You weren't patient. You should have been with him and whatever. And we got back together. And then like a couple of months after that. He proposed, we got engaged, now we're married, we've been married for six years, we have two kids and it all worked out. But like I wasn't patient and I didn't do the quote right thing of just like sit there and wait. Jacob had already said he was wanting to marry me. He just wasn't ready to propose yet. Um, so I think a big takeaway is if you're not patient and you can't be patient, I don't want to say don't worry, but you're not so large that you're gonna screw up God's plans. His plans can't be thwarted. And that was also in, I wanna say it was in Job, I don't know where it is in my notes. But, like, you're not that big. You're not so large to derail all of God's plans. Um, so not to be cliche that oh, it'll all work out in the end, but also it will all work out in the end. Yeah.,
0: what, what say you, Ellen?
1: Um, I'm probably the the
2: worst person to ask about that stuff because, um, I like control. I, I just I, I don't know it I don't know if it's my personality. I'm an Enneagram one. So I like things a certain way. I like control of the certain situation, I guess. Um, Some people could call that leadership. (laughs) Some people might call it annoying. (laughs) Um, So I I just have to constantly remind myself, especially now. I I think, I don't know if I've struggled. I hate to even like say we've struggled through the pandemic. It's just, you know, I always want to, let me just, let's just do this. Let's just do that. Let's just do that. And sometimes I have to kind of sit back and wait, you know, like I just want to get out and do and be and ignore all the bad stuff going on. I I just want to be back to normal, I guess. Um, so I, I feel like I put those blinders up, but I have to constantly remind myself I can't control every single situation. I have to just step back and let God handle the things that he can handle. Um, so I think I don't know that I'm the best person. I I mean, I've waited on stuff, but I can't even tell you that I haven't whined and fussed and argued and preached to God. Um, You know, Tara Lisa, you know, she talks about in Job about the entitlement and the deserving. Um, It was kind of funny because I say a lot uh, when I wish people happy birthday on Facebook, I'm always like, happy birthday. I hope you have a great day. You deserve it. And so I've kind of sat with that deserve. Well, I'm a mom. I've worked hard during this pandemic to make sure that my kids have, you know, been outside or they're studying and they're eating right. And they're, you know, I deserve a break. Well, you know, where is that line? So I don't know. I think that one is a constant struggle for me when, you know, God says, hold on, hold on, let me fix this. You know, I'll do this in my time. And it's something I have to constantly remind myself to just. Let go of the rain. So that's a daily struggle for me who wants the person who wants yeah. all the control.
0: So I would say for me, what I've learned is um, I think in some ways the ability to wait on the Lord comes with age and experience and not that i'm that old or that experienced but i just know where i am now at 42 i'm okay with that a lot more than it was when i was 25 and if you had told me when i was 25 like where i'd be when i was 42 i'd be like that's it but i mean looking back at it now i mean there's a lot of places i could have ended up in life or in ministry even that i'm like whoo like i'm i'm glad that didn't happen and i'm glad you know, I, I, I was impatient, but I'm glad that my impatience didn't win out or that I didn't get the way that I thought was going to be best because it ended up not being. And I, I really am in a place where I'm like, it's great for my family. I love where I am, I love what I do. And so it's worked out in that way. And it has taught me to be okay with waiting, to be okay with what comes. And I, I, I tell people all the time now because people are like, well, you know, what are you going to do? You know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I, I really don't know. Like, I really have an open hand. And I'm okay with that for the first time ever, (laughs) you know, like I'm cool with what comes next, you know, but it it doesn't matter to me, uh, when or where. Um, so like, I'm just like, whatever, like I, I love what I'm doing now. And, and, uh, you know, I love what the Lord's doing in me. Um, so totally cool with that. And, and I could not imagine myself saying that when I was 25 years old. I think the other thing, there's a woman I follow on Twitter who wrote a book in the past year or so, and I haven't read the book yet, but I know the gist it's called, it's not your turn. And she talks about her experience of seeing people around her, like having things materialize, having things happen, you know, having children, getting married, getting jobs, whatever, and like feeling like she always was missing out. She always was like, that was my story for so long as I was, I was in ministry for a really long time. Like, you know, trying to get to a place in in ministry where I was like, well, this is where the Lord's calling me and this is where I want to be. And it, I kept getting like really close and then it it wouldn't materialize. And she talks about that, and she says, you know, one of the ways through that is is to to have patience with where you are, to do your best, to be content where you are, and to celebrate others. As hard as that is, celebrate with other people their victories, um, their their momentous occasions in life, and then eventually, like yours, will come, and you it won't be masked because you're you're bitter that it took so long. It'll be extra fruitful and extra joyous because people will celebrate it with you because you celebrate their victories with them. Right. Does that make sense? So, um, yeah, that's one thing I think I've learned in my life and in my experience in, in time and ministry and things like that. Uh, as we look at, um, yeah, I guess I'll share my insights in, in Job and Genesis. And I say this all the time. You probably heard it. heard me say this in the, if you listen to the first episode, I'm a big proponent. When you're reading through the Bible, just focus on the big picture. There's a lot of things you can get hung up on. There's a lot of, you know, like I always say, don't miss the forest for the trees because you could you could look at every tree, and it's funny I mentioned that because trees are actually a big thing in the scripture that you you should notice every time a tree shows up. But focus on the big picture and imagine the Bible presenting you with a rhetorical question, and the rhetorical question is, "How do we get back to the garden? How do we get back to a place where we have fellowship and union and communion with God?" So when you look at Job, I'll start there. Like Job as a book is pretty depressing, and. I think it sort of mirrors life. Life at times can be depressing. And I think what Job shows us, big picture, is what our life would be like if we did not have an advocate for us before the Lord. I think the book awakens us to the fact that there's an accuser. And when it talks about Satan going to God, and I think Terry Lee talks about this, the, the literal word Satan means the accuser. So we don't know if this is Satan himself or is, or if this is just somebody some, you know, maybe somebody, that, a, a, a demon that works for Satan or whatever, that is an accuser. But whatever it is, like there's an accuser before the Lord that is accusing us. And so I think what the book shows us is what our life would be like if we did not have an advocate before the Lord. And it leaves us thirsty for an advocate because we see this accuser. And I think in answering the question, how do we get back to the garden? Job, very early on in our reading, as we're reading through the Bible, sets us up to understand that life's not going to be fair. I think the book leaves us longing for an advocate who can plead to God on our behalf. Multiple times we find Job saying that he wishes to plead his case or he'll say the powerless have no one to plead for them. So I think you see that very clearly in Job, that life's not fair, that we need someone to advocate for us because we have someone accusing against us. And sometimes we we are our own accusers. I think there's another part of Job that's essentially showing us the truth that is will be stated later on as we read in Isaiah, there's a verse in Isaiah where the Lord says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I think that's clear in Job just in a very drawn out poetic way. And for it to come where it does chronologically, it, I think it also demonstrates for us that God's blessing is going to work apart from the way that we usually identify it from in the law. So we're going to read right after we read Job, we're going to read in Genesis 12 that hey, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And we usually take that to mean like, if you're good, I'll bless you. If you're not, I won't. And so I think it's interesting that Job, in our chronological reading at least, comes right before that to say, hey, that's not necessarily true. Because that tends to be kind of where we go. And that tends to be just kind of an assumption that we make. I think the other thing about Job is it ends with a restoration, almost like a fairy tale. It's almost like a Disney ending. And I think there's something to that because I think we all long for that. And it's why... I think it's why that's so prevalent in so many of our stories. I think there's a universal recognition that life isn't fair. I think Job exposes us to that. I think there's a universal recognition that things don't work out the way that we think they should. And there's a universal desire to make them that way in our stories. So the book ends with a restoration. But more than that, I think it exposes our longing and our desire for that. So the lesson I take from that is as you read the Bible, as you read through Job, you might get uneasy. As you were just saying a moment ago, Ellen, you might get uneasy or you might find it boring or you might find it frustrating because honestly, life sometimes is boring and frustrating. So what I would challenge the reader at home or listening to this to do is to ask yourself, why do you feel that way? And to let that unease sit with you as you read through the Bible because I think that is actually how the Spirit works within us through the process of reading the Bible is to expose us to things that's going to make us feel uneasy, that's going to make us feel uncomfortable. So as we read a book like Job, for instance, we may find it a little tedious or a little frustrating, but guess what? So's life. We may find the book of Job unfair because what did he do to deserve this? And so then we get uneasy because we see that he has an accuser and not an advocate. But then if we let that sit with us, what happens within us? We find ourselves then maybe feeling like we we are in his shoes and we feel like, well, we need an advocate. And I think that emptiness creates a longing within us. And then as we keep reading, and we let that unease sit with us, we get to the gospels where Jesus says, you are my friends and I will send the comforter to you. So Jesus is our friend that doesn't join in accusing us as Job's friends do. He actually sends the spirit to comfort us. And then we get to Romans where we see that Jesus is actually our advocate before the Lord. And I think all of that begins to teach us just why precisely the message of jesus is good news but at first i think you have to let that unease sit with you you have to you have to identify that and you have to let that that discomfort sit with you and in the book like job or in some of the other books we're about to read and you have to just kind of let that dwell and create a longing in your heart for what i think we will find in jesus and i actually think that is the spirit at work in you when you do get into some of these books and you're like this is hard or you know, this is, I don't really understand it or whatever. Just let it sit with you and and let it lead you to a longing for what we will find in Jesus. And then I think Genesis is a lot the same. Uh, I'm talking a really long time. I'm going to try to be fast with this, but I think Genesis is presenting us with sort of the same question. How do we get the garden back? And there are a series of patterns that we see over and over and over. And frankly, it's easier to see in the Hebrew. I'm not like a Hebrew scholar, but I just know there's a lot of Genesis that's using language that's the same language that is found in the creation story, that's found in the the fall account of Adam and Lee, Eve, and it's even found in Noah. So almost every story in, in Genesis is linking to one of those somehow as a way to say like, hey, like this is all happening all over again. And as I said earlier, there are motifs in scripture. So there's things that you need to remember every time you see them. So trees and anything that go with trees, roots, branches, fruit, vines, and anything that goes with vines, like wine, always like, have flashers go off in your head when you read that. Anything to do with blood, blood a lot of times is associated with wine as we get into the story of Jesus. Anything to do with water or wells, the birth of babies is usually a time when God's about to do something grand. Light and darkness, obviously, as well. So there are motifs that that are there that you have to look at and you have to notice, and there are constant references to trees and to bushes in Genesis that are all hearkening back to the tree of life in the garden. So again, presenting this us with this idea of how do we get that back And actually, the Bible Project just put out a great podcast episode about it here at the end of January, and I'll link to that in the show notes. But if we focus on the big picture, let's look at, like, say, Genesis chapter 13, Lot and Abraham separate, Lot goes to the east because it looks like the garden. Like, Genesis chapter 13 actually says, like, he goes because it looked like the garden of the Lord. And so the question is kind of there, like, is that how we get the garden back? But no, it's not, because where does Lot end up? Uh, And it tells us he went towards the east. And you just have to remember like, well, where were Adam and Eve expelled to? Well, they were expelled to the east. So it's kind of cluing us in that that moving to the east is moving away from God in a lot of cases. Not always because when they're in Egypt, they have to travel east to get to the promised land. But in cases like this, it's sort of a subtle, subtle clue that it's not going to lead where you think it's going to lead. But later, we'll see visitors come to God that mark the beginning of God's calling to reunite us with him in the garden. We call them the Magi. And if you remember, they come from the east. So it's sort of this subtle like, oh yeah, so like as people moved away from God, this this instant of Jesus coming and being bored is sort of the event that's going to bring us back to God. Uh, how do we get the garden back? Going back to, lo- to, to Lot, it's not going off on our own. It's, it's not going off to the east as Lot did. It's going to require someone to come after us. In the case that we read right after that, in Genesis 14, we see this mysterious king slash priest named Melchizedek and he shows up with some bread and wine. That's a subtle clue. <laughs> like, Well, maybe the maybe we need to look for someone who's a king and a priest who shows up with some bread and some wine later on in the story. And there's a lot more to go with that. Uh, he's from the city of Salem, which ends up becoming Jerusalem. It's the same city. Um, so stuff like this, this just gets revisited over and over and over. And we see with the characters in Genesis as well. They're not great moral figures. And we make a mistake when we teach from these passages a lot of times to to say like, how can we be more like Abraham or how can we be more like David or whatever? And those aren't the those aren't the points of those stories. The points of those stories are, are to say, don't be like this guy. This isn't it. This we didn't get the garden back this way. There are details present in their stories that point us forward to someone else that we we should look for. But again, we need to let that unease sit with us in those kind of things. So you see that over and over in scripture. And so that would be kind of my thing to take away from this is try to identify those points in the stories. Um, try to see those sort of bigger, overarching things that connect to one another, um, not just in these stories, but later on as we read. And, and we have the advantage of kind of knowing how the story is going to end, so we we maybe have a heads up on things to look for. But that would be my thing. As you as if you read through Genesis and Job, Job, or as you read other points in the Bible, just let that unease sit with you and notice those sort of motif or subtle clues that are going to you know, be drawn out later on in the story and allow the Spirit to work within you in these readings to sort of develop a longing in you for what we hope will be the answer to all of this. So that's my takeaway from Genesis. And Job, y'all have any questions before we move on?
1: No, but I do have like an extra point yeah, sure. to sitting with the unease. So I'm really bad about clenching my jaw when I get stressed out. Um, and I take for granted like, the relief of when I don't clench my jaw until I've clenched my jaw for so long and it hurts. Um, And then I'm like, oh, I should probably unclench my jaw and like, let it relax. So I think sitting with the unease that we feel in Job or when Jacob steals his brother's birthright, which Esau said he despised anyway. So he was kind of taking it for granted. Like you're going to appreciate the the big reveal or the the satisfaction of the story later on because you sat with the unease, you're not going to take it for granted as much, I don't think.
0: Mm-hmm. And and by the way, mentioning that is a great, that's another theme that shows up over, over and over, particularly in Genesis is you have this family that that the Lord's going to bless the world through, but every single one of them is marked by deception. Every single one of them is deceiving somebody else in in their stories. And so they each... Very clearly, have more in common with the serpent, who is the deceiver that started it all, than they do with the savior, who we we are clearly seeing we need. We like these these dudes aren't getting it done because they're just like the serpent; they're deceiving everybody. So it's kind of cluing us in, like we there needs to be someone that comes along that can look different than this. Uh, and so again, that's that's part of setting that that unease, and you picked up on that too. Tiffany, just that, that deception that's present in the story over and over and over.
1: Well, even outside of necessarily the line of Jacob, Laban deceived Jacob. I mean, right. You know, technically, he's the uncle. So, I mean, it's still from the branch, but not the branch where the covenant promise was made. But poor Leah, you know, yeah. was yeah. the unloved, undesired wife um, because Jacob didn't ask what her name was before they went into the tent and, you know, right. consummated the marriage. Um but like there's just deceit everywhere It's
0: and Tamar deceives call. Tamar deceives Judah so like these dudes get a taste of their own medicine and those are the things that actually prompt them to actually change that actually expose them that hey they're living like they like they're the serpent like they need to step it up but the problem is their family keeps making the same mistakes they make Well, let's look at we had a few people send us some questions about our reading thus for far and uh, we'll use this as an uh, opportunity as well to invite those of you listening to send in more questions if as we as we get into what we'll be reading in February but two questions we specifically had about Genesis actually they're both about Job number one was when we get to the end of Job we see God rebuke Job's friends they were both rebuke Job a little bit as well and the question we have was why doesn't God address Elihu and I I think I said that for Elihu I think that's how his name is Uh, because Elihu's kind of the one person who comes along that he's he's not 100% square but like he's not as bad as Job's friends and he kind of is the one who propels the story forward into Job having this encounter with God where you know God tells Job like hey dude like you're you need to do a little bit more thinking here and that sort of thing so the question is why didn't God address Elihu and honestly like I don't know there's a lot of different theories about that part one I read said that it could be that you know in the story he's presented as just kind of a bystander he's just sort of overhearing the discussion he's not one of Job's friends um, so that it you know it wasn't someone that you know, Job ends up restoring his relationships with his friends it may have been that he didn't need to do that with Elihu because he didn't really have a relationship Elihu was just sort of an over, overhearing bystander um, another thing I read said that it could be simply that Elihu didn't really rebuke Job in the same way like he didn't really attack Job's character as much as Job's friends did so that could be a thought as well and then another explanation could be that maybe God did and it just wasn't recorded for us. So, and we don't really know because it didn't serve a purpose in the in the story. Um, so that could be a case as well. There's not really a clear answer to that question, but there are a couple of theories there. Then the other one is, uh, why does Job come where it does chronologically in our reading plan? So for us, it came right after we read Genesis chapter 11 Then we jumped into all of Job, and then we came back to Genesis 12. Some reading plans place it elsewhere. I've actually got a chronological Bible that places Job at the end of Genesis, but before you get into Exodus, because there's a 400-year gap there. But either way, it places it very early on in the chronology of the Bible. And uh, actually, one of y'all was going to answer that one, right? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Your face is weird. I'm not. I'm not. But uh, really, uh, there's... Uh, There's a couple of indicators in this. One is the honestly the major way is the way that uh, or the the different words that are used or the way Job is described in different in different cases. So, for instance, um, if we were to find something and you know we we unearthed something that was written several years ago and it said something like such and such was gnarly, we would be like, hmm, there's a good chance this came from like a California coastal town in the 1980s, right? Because of the vocabulary. Mm. Same case with Job. We don't know exactly when it was written. Uh, nobody knows. It says he came from the land of Uz. Nobody knows. There, there's no, nobody knows where that is. Nobody has any idea. But the way Job is described, uh, it says that he was upright and blameless, which is also the way Noah was described. So that's sort of a clue that this is a, an early writing it also describes his wealth in very much the same way that Abraham's wealth is described. You know, he has, he has a lot of sheep and his camels. You know, yeah. So it's not that he has gold or silver or land, but it, it's like he has these flocks. So that's sort of a clue that he's probably from that time period. The other really big one is when he gets raided, one of the raiding parties are the Chaldeans. And Abraham's family, when Abraham is called by God to leave, he leaves, Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, historically, the Chaldeans are—they become the Babylonians. But when they become the Babylonians, they're called the Babylonians. So we know, like, if there's a reference to Chaldeans, it's going to be like really early in the timeline. So that's really the major clue. Um, the, after after Job and after the reference to the Chaldeans by Abraham, the Chaldeans really don't come up at all in the rest of the Old Testament. So that's sort of a clue. That is early on. They will come up, I think, in like Ezekiel later on, but more as like a sort of like a poetic reference. Um, it would be it would be like someone poetically saying, you know, linking America to to England, you know, because we we rebelled from England and you know the Declaration of Independence and all that. Like we're not English now, but if someone were to you know say something about us being you know from England, it would just be sort of a poetic reference to our history. So Ezekiel does do that. He does talk about the Chaldeans, but as a way to reference actually Babylon. Uh, But that's really the big clue. It's just the language in the book in the way Job is described that sort of clues people in that this must be an early, early reference around the time of Noah and Abraham. So that's that.
1: Hmm. That's a good word.
0: Yeah. So if you have any more questions, uh, please let us know. You can send them to e-l-l-y-n (laughs) <laughs> Don't send <sell> them. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> send them to youngadults@fpcahsv.org or join our group me and uh, ask them in there. We'd love to love to be able to try to answer them on future episodes. So as we look ahead, uh, we're going to be diving into February. Tiffany, can you tell us a little bit about you know we talked a little bit last time about Wednesday night gatherings. Uh, what might that look like in February if someone's interested in coming and discussing Bible reading?
1: I think it's going to depend on COVID. Um, yes, as everything has, you know, as we're recording this right now, one of my kids' um, daycare classrooms just came off of quarantine and I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop that we get reannounced. That daycare is gonna shut down again. So I'm gonna say it's up to your comfort level. Um, probably would recommend that you wear a mask. And if we get together, it'll just be like on a real case by case basis, who feels like showing up to the upper gathering space or not. Um, the group me is really great for keeping everybody honest on their reading. I think. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's going to be whatever the next variant has for us. Mm-hmm.
0: So if you're in North Huntsville, I mean, North Alabama or Huntsville on Wednesday nights in February, holler at us. You might see Tiffany and Ellen or myself around in the upper gathering place. And we'd love to talk Bible with you. And we, are, it's not just like, Hey, look, what are we going to talk about? But like, you actually have some questions and things that are based on our readings. So, oh, yeah. uh, and if you didn't do the reading, it's cool. You can still discuss and, and, and learn, you know, or talk about the questions and things like that. So uh, one other thing I want to touch on real quick before we go, Ellen, you mentioned last time, we mentioned this, that you got 67 days behind. Yes. In last year,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I would like for people listening to this to know how you caught up last year, because there may be someone who's like, well, I didn't know y'all were doing this. I'm already 31 days behind. It's too late for me, no, you know? So how, what did you do specifically to catch up after being 67 days behind? Did you read multiple times, multiple days worth of readings in a day? Did you listen? What did you do?
2: Yeah. So the big chunk of what I did last year was listen. Um, and that's easy, um, to like put it in your car to listen while you get ready to, uh, do housework would be a lot of what I would do too. Um, and you would be surprised. This is just for me, just because I do social media on the side, um, how often I scroll, uh, my phone. And so while I'm sitting there scrolling in bed, I was like, Oh wait, I could be doing, you know, I could be listening or scroll, you know, reading the Bible or things like that. You'd be surprised where you could fit in the time. Um, and, and I say that to me, not necessarily to everybody else, but I, I do say it to me. You'd be surprised how you could find, um, time. And you know, if you're good with doing chunk reading, um, I, you know, that's a great way to get caught up. So I always have a day where I, I at least tackle, um, a good, um, amount of my reading, whether I do three or four days at a time. And they are set up in like 20, I think she tells you, um, Tara Lee says, you know, she wanted it to be in a, like a 20 minute ish version right. of which you could digest to the Bible in a day. So, I mean, really, if you just sat down for an hour at night and you could knock out three or four, you know, depending on how fast or slow you listen to the podcast too. And a lot of times I will just read straight through, and then I will get up and uh, like kind of take a breather and listen to the podcast. You know, as I kind of go about and do some things, or you know, get ready for bed, or you know, just like little things like that. So even even if you join it, like what is three sixty five divided into whatever that point is, and just do two a day, you know, to the rest of the year, like you can still get caught up. Like I mean, it's it's still possible. I mean, it's 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 doable.
0: Yeah, you could do two a day, and yeah, you get so that would be one hundred eighty two. There you go. I think. Yeah. So yeah. if you go, so that would be like July or mm. end of June. You could still start due to it So make it. Yeah, and, and as I said last time, do not downplay listening to scripture. Yeah. When we when when this is all said and done and we are in heaven or on the new earth or wherever we are, like 98% of people who will be there will be there because they listened to scripture, not because they had a personal copy and read it or whatever. So so there's nothing wrong with listening to the, the word. Uh, so absolutely do that. Particularly, it is—it's an easy way to catch up, and it's better than doing nothing. So even if you listen and you're washing the dishes, or you're listening and you're driving to work or whatever, that's better than not doing it. So absolutely do that. Uh, as we as we close, we're gonna we're gonna be back around March first, and when we do that, we'll cover Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Those will be kind of the the books we're reading through. We start out like on like level ten. On a it's ten rough. level scale, with, Gosh, with it, hard. And, then, and you go from there into like Joshua and judges. But then after that, you 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 kind of go down to like level eight. Uh, so, but yeah, no, well, we're gonna we're diving in the deep end. We'll talk about that, we'll kind of bring up uh, again just some relevant questions with that. Any questions you have, like I said before, as you read through that, please let us know. Send them to us. Uh, absolutely, we would love to try to take our, our best stab at answering those. And then the last thing I'll say is just thanks for listening in. Thanks for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks for listening wherever you are listening. We'd love it if you would rate and review this podcast. uh, Typically, especially on Apple, rate and review it. If you're on Spotify, leave us a a rating. If you're on YouTube, leave a comment. We'd love... uh, You can even ask questions on YouTube. That would be awesome as well. Uh, Also, as as we wrap it up, special thanks to Ellen who did our graphic design for this episode. Special thanks to Kyle, who got your mic issues worked out for this this episode too. Special thanks to Patrick Chester, who's going to be doing our audio and, and sound engineering for this episode as well. So we will uh, close with all of that and looking forward to reading through Exodus Leviticus and Numbers with you guys in February. And we'll be back with you on March 1st. Until then, you guys take care. You have any thoughts? No.
2: Um, <laughs> I'm taking right. it all in. I, I didn't actually uh, know the part about the trees. I mean, I think I knew it, but until you said it, so I made a note to to look for all the trees.